Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 109, being recorded on Thursday, November 30th, 2017. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as always, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. <clears throat> oh, so much podcasting, I'm a little, little overclimped. Uh, Jason, you know, but maybe the audience doesn't, that one of our most popular episodes last year was the infamous episode 60, which was our holiday preview that featured Adobe's Tamara Gaffney. Um, and today we are excited to announce that Tamara is back with us. And we thought it'd be even cooler that instead of doing a preview, if we could carve off just a little bit of her time, even though she's super busy being the data wizard out there, uh, to give us a read, kind of a hot take on what's going on after the Cyber Five. So we're really excited to have Tamara back with us. She is the Strategic Insights Engagement Group Director at Adobe. Welcome, Tamara. Hi. Thanks for having me back on. It's been, uh, well, it's been a year. Yeah, we missed you and excited to have you on and and. Uh, I think this year will be even more exciting because we're going to get some, uh, instead of previews, we'll actually get reviews. So excited to hear uh, what you have to say. Yeah, we're right in the thick of things, aren't we? We've just uh, just crossed over $50 billion in online spending. So uh, it's, it's a big, big year. And most of that is just Scott. So that's pretty impressive, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 10%. It's not, not all of it. Scott, I, might, I think I want to have your job <laughs> if, you can, if you can afford all that. <laughs> I feel like Scott has to have multiple jobs to support his Star Wars habit. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure if you look at the data, we'll, we'll have a Star Wars question later. So, <laughs> Okay. Uh, uh, Tamara, before we get into it, can you refresh our listeners as to how it is that you know so much about what's happening with holiday spending? Can you talk about the, the data set you're working with a little bit? Yeah, let me start there because most everybody who is listening in is thinking Adobe and they're thinking Photoshop, they're thinking Acrobat, not necessarily thinking big data analysis. Um, As a podcaster, we think last year. Adobe Audition. Yes. <laughs> but, um, but we actually have a um, technology for marketing that we call the Experience Cloud. And inside that, we have some baby clouds, um, and, and in particular, the Analytics Cloud, which is running uh, the collection mechanism for getting all of the information for a vast majority of online retailers, as well as you know media sites and, and so on and so forth. Most of the web is using Adobe Analytics to track information for themselves. And, um, and we have the keys to Fort Knox in our team in Adobe Digital Insights, where we're allowed to go in and look at the aggregate of all of the clients in the cloud. So what you're seeing or hearing today off of uh, this data is coming out of shopping carts and the actual tracking of what is going in and out of shopping carts, how much is getting bought, what kind of device is buying it, um, all kinds of information that's tracked inside of Adobe Analytics, and we aggregate all of that up into massive numbers. Gotcha. And for really old school listeners, the uh, the Adobe Analytics cloud was uh, at one point Omniture. 
That's right. Yeah. In, in fact, when you log in, uh, if you're a client, when you log in, it still says that in the URL. So I was, I was going to um, say, I didn't want, I don't want to tease the product manager who's like, no, we've, we've totally re- uh, normalized the, all the new names, but, uh, yeah, the URL is still Omniture. Right. It's been seven years now, um, that we have been anal- Adobe analytics and, uh, everyone still remembers that, that old brand. And so that, that must be the hallmark of a good brand right there. A- absolutely. And, and so to sort of recap, like there are other vendors, out there that give holiday data based on their customer bases, but they're, you know, most, most vendors have, you know, you can have a very robust business and, and, you know, still your customers might represent five or 10% of the, the market. And the, depending on your product, it, it sort of self-selects for a particular type of, of customer. And so there, you know, there can be a lot of, uh, sort of, uh, inherent biases in a lot of those data sets that, that vendors that aren't really in the analytics space have when they, try to share some of the, their holiday insights. Um, but in your case, it's, it's the same tool that, that many retailers are using to track their, their own progress. And I think you're going to tell me that you have a pretty uh, big representative sample of the overall e-commerce industry. Yeah, we do. And uh, to be fair to everyone, we all have a sample. Uh, we just happen to have a ginormously huge sample, which makes it, frankly, a little bit easy to predict what's going to happen. There isn't that much out there that I'm um, trying to figure out. But, uh, but yeah, we're, we're covering 80% of the top 100 retailers, uh, web retailers, and we are covering about $7.50 out of every $10 spent online inside of the Adobe Analytics and um, Adobe Experience Cloud platform. So the data that we're looking at is very, very big. We're talking about trillions of, of visits and billions of uh, shopping carts purchased during the period of time that our predictive model is looking at data to give estimates about where we should be. And then, of course, you know, we're tracking the actuals. And if you were watching the news over the holiday weekend, you probably heard Adobe's data quoted because we had over 9,000 press articles in the last five days. So it's been, a, it's been really great for us to get the word out this year. That's awesome. Congrats on uh, so much success. I hope you get paid by mention. <laughs> I wish that, but we do track it in analytics, just like, you know, everything else. So that was up 18% in our KPI. So we're happy. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you said uh, at the top of the show, 50 billion, that feels good. Um, but maybe we could start kind of at 30,000 foot level. What, what was your thinking coming into the holiday? Um, and, uh, you know, how are we tracking against that thinking and, and any, any revision? to the back end up or down that, that, that you're seeing? Yeah, let me let me go back, um, take take a giant step back and talk about our prediction that we put out uh, the very, very beginning of November. And the predictive model this year, uh, we ripped it down to the studs and rebuilt it completely. And it took us, we started February and it took us all this time to get it, uh, get it redone. And the reason why we had to do that is we were starting to watch how our model was working against the behavioral patterns that we're seeing in the market. We noticed that, that these big shopping days were stealing, um, stealing shopping, stealing revenue from other days. And, uh, and that caused the model, which had some assumptions in it about some constant growth in various levels of uh, e-commerce spend, to really start to become not the right way to measure things. 
So because we are never satisfied with uh, what we used to do, we decided that we needed to have a specific growth rate estimate for every day of the year. And, and that has changed our outlook and it changed a little bit of our um, model from the back. So we did some revising of the past, but not too big. And, and then we put out our prediction, which was $107.4 billion. And that is a 13.8% growth rate. Last year was a 14.4% growth rate based on our revised uh, data in our models. And uh, so you can see that the growth rate is starting to decline, but the actual total difference in spending is up. And, and growth rates are a very difficult to conceptualize number because as a base gets bigger and bigger, a growth rate naturally goes down. So, uh, so do not interpret the lower growth rate than last year as a negative sign because e-commerce is still alive and well. And in fact, if you've been watching the news, um, it's, it's all the things that everyone's talking about this year is how much more is going online. Yeah, I think in the offline world where things are growing Two to four percent will take uh, fourteen or eighteen is probably fine. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it'll do. Uh, although, you know, like I said, we are seeing that retailers' pricing promotions are causing the consumers to wait and delay spending. So some of this growth that we see, big spiky growth in days like Cyber Monday, come at the expense of the beginning of November. Which is strange considering that if you're watching your email box or paying attention to what retailers are doing, you see them talking about Black Friday earlier and earlier and you think, well, the sales must be really ramping up earlier than it used to. But that is not in, not in fact true. Consumers have become online shopping ninjas and they know that the best prices are not until the Thanksgiving holiday weekend and so they wait. It's not always good for retailers that they're waiting, but they're competing with each other. And they it's such a competitive marketplace that they can't afford to not have the lowest prices when everyone else does. So, uh, so that's why you're seeing the concentration of the holiday spending becoming tighter and tighter over the course of time. Interesting. And uh, I, I want to drill down on that just a little bit more because when you, when you uh, think about more spending over the holiday period, like there's a couple of reasons that could be right. Like, so, you know, one is people are just getting more goods than they got last year or a bigger percentage of their goods online than offline. If we're, if we're just looking at the on, online number. Um, but another one is the time frame can be different, right? Because we don't have the same number of days every year in holiday. And if, if I'm not mistaken this year, we have one more day than we had last year. So do we, do you try to account for that in your model when you talk about the growth percentage or is it just, there's a small amount of the growth percentage that we should just expect because we have one more shopping day. Yeah, so our model really looks at the two months of November and December and doesn't specifically look at when Thanksgiving starts. Although uh, you're absolutely right to point that out. In previous analysis, we had measured the impact of a shortened season because we're Climbing back up in terms of days, after a couple years ago, we, we got to the shortest window between Thanksgiving and Christmas, 
And um, and now, you know, every year we get one extra day, which is great for retailers. Uh, in the past, when we looked at what happens when you get a short season, it was five, six hundred million dollars a day in lost revenue. And that was because people don't really start shopping until Thanksgiving, Black Friday time period. And then they shop for as many days as they have left. Uh, so when you have fewer days left, you just don't get as far out in your shopping in terms of the nice-to-have gifts as you would have if you had more time. Having said that, though, the counterbalance to all of it has been over the past two years and to even in greater degree this year, we have the advent of click-and-collect shopping. So that has lengthened the season, that and the fact that we have longer um, – periods of time that we can wait before shipping, free shipping stops and before the shippers say they can't get stuff to us. That's because of really improvements in logistics and data analysis on the part of the shippers themselves. So we have a lengthened online shopping season compared to five years ago because of those factors. Uh, and that helps online. But the shortened season in general hurts all shopping, and and all of that is a, is a part of the model, but not as specifically as, you know, looking at the number of days between yep. Thanksgiving and Christmas. That, that's actually a great point. So if, if you get back in that time machine, and, and uh, Scott and I have been doing this for a long time, like in the old days, you had this one thing, you had a cutoff date, right? And that was the last day you could hand something to UPS and still have it delivered uh, uh, via ground to a to a consumer. And so uh, promotionally, you were selling stuff online until that cutoff date. And and once you got past that cutoff date, your strategy was to sell gift cards, like something you, you could you could deliver electronically. And like, oh, you know, over the last 10 years, we have multiple cutoff dates because there's that ground cutoff date. And now, you know, a lot of shippers are, are or a lot of consumers are, you know, getting express delivery, whether, you know, that's bundled for free or whether they're paying a premium for that. To your point, the cutoff dates just are shorter because uh, the, the shippers are better at it. Um, and then, you know, the, the big advent, as you as you rightly mentioned, is now instead of promoting gift cards for those last two days, we're saying click and collect, buy it online, and, and uh, you can drive in curbside and pick it up or come in in the store and pick it up. Um, so yeah, and and in places like, you know, um, Amazon, for example, in certain cities, they have same-day delivery because they've got warehouses located in those cities themselves. So some of it is with a positioning of goods around the country and where, where they are. I remember a couple of years ago watching UPS back up into a Nike store and take online orders out of the physical store and deliver them in a local area. So there's all kinds of strategies that have come into place in the last five years to get goods out of, um, out of the computer and into your porch without it uh, having to be a cutoff so early. Uh, for sure. And and uh, now it's into the porch. Soon it's going to be into the refrigerator. But because um, uh, Amazon and are that. all going to have the keys to our house. Uh, but uh, yeah. before we get there, um, the other thing you mentioned, which I think is potentially an even bigger deal, is it's it's I think it's always dangerous to talk about growth without talking about growth's tricky pal discounting. Um, and the, the reason I say that is sort of twofold. Uh in seasons when retailers aggressively discount earlier in the season, like, you know, it's, it's possible that they're just shifting more sales early so we can see big growth over this kind of cyber five. Uh, 
Um, and really all we've done is like we've given away margin to pull those sales earlier into the season. Um, and then there are other seasons where they aggressively discount throughout the season and they do drive more sales. Uh, but of course, that can have a hugely negative impact on on profitability. And so you can have a season where high five, we all grew really well. Oh, bummer. We all lost more money than ever before. Um, and so I'm, I'm always curious to track promo, uh, the promotional activity. And one of the things that's always exciting to me about your data set is I think you actually see uh, the price consumers are paying and the level of discounting. So are, are you able to talk about that trend, uh, what trends you're seeing there at all? Yeah, I actually am. Uh, because again, going back to how we collect the data, we're looking at a line item, a product going into a shopping cart for a particular price. And then we're looking at the totals and you know what kind of credit card was used. All that stuff is, is stored in Adobe Analytics. And so when we go in to do that, we've created actually, you know, by the by the way, every month we release a digital price index, which is a corollary to the consumer price index, and it allows everyone to track online price changes. So uh, so we use that type of information that we've built up in the digital price index to help understand what kind of discounting is happening during the holiday season. And uh, the interesting thing this year for me was that the discount rates for the, the biggest discounts tend to be on items like televisions and computers and the electronic category has uh, much bigger discounts than other categories. Um, so last year we hit 25% discounts on televisions and tablets. This year we hit 24 so not a super big difference, but not as much discount as we had before. Uh, the little trick there, though, to keep in mind is that I'm calculating a discount rate, meaning there was a price and then it got you know, kind of uh, lowered. There actually could be that the prices came into the season lower and therefore the discount rate still got you out the door for less money than you would have, even though there was a smaller discount. So, um, so keep that in mind. But some of the categories that we were tracking did not have this as high a discount this year as last year. Last year seemed to be a huge, huge discount year. And this one is a, it's a tick better. Um, Sporting goods was about 11% off, and I uh, actually saw an article about people buying guns, which was interesting because that's in the sporting good category. Um, apparel, about 15%. Computers, 16%. And, you, you know, the... Um, the toy category itself is holding at about 19% discounts. Uh, the the real big problem with uh, with pricing is that the times when things actually get their lowest is already the time when a lot of the hottest products are sold out. So retailers don't necessarily give you their lowest price on something that's about to sell out until after they get through um, knowing whether or not they have enough inventory. And so they're optimizing pretty well using a lot of data mining to do that. But uh, the other thing that I'll tell you is that the shopping carts themselves were a little bit bigger than they were last year. And the data that's coming in after our prediction is showing us that the season is going to be a little, a little bit bigger than our predictive model. It could touch 150, uh, $110 billion 
possibly. So we're going to have to see if if the big Cyber Monday that we just came off of does steal some of the shopping thunder from the rest, the back half of the season. Uh, I don't think it will, though, based on looking at this data for five years. Um, people seem to shop as much as they have time for. Very cool. And um, so you did touch on one thing that I, I hadn't fully considered, but I'll bet you is a, a, a newer challenge so you see discounts in terms of sort of is was pricing, right? Like our, our list price was this and, and now we're offering it at, at this. And, and, you know, a lot of retailers are heavily promotional. So that's their, their modus operandi. Um, but increasingly, like there's a, there's a huge everyday low price retailer out there in Walmart that really doesn't quote unquote discount, but they certainly adjust their, their offer price. Um, and more and more, we're starting to see this dynamic pricing where retailers change pricing all the time based on on market conditions. And obviously, Amazon's famous for that. I'm assuming you can see the is was promotions, but you really don't have a a, a, a great way to call out the fact when a, a, a retailer just gets more aggressive on their base price uh, during a particular period, particularly if they're a dynamic pricer. So this particular analysis that gives you the discount rates uh, doesn't have that, but the digital price index where we're looking at the price index by category of product does. So if we're starting to see things trending down or we're seeing deflation in a certain category, um, it's showing up in the digital price index. So in January, probably around the 5th or so, we will put out the December digital price index and it will have you know, more of a trend around how much uh, how much just everyday low prices are we seeing hit the market versus the discount rate, which is we're going to jack the prices up and then discount it and make you feel like you got a good deal. Awesome. Um, and then not to dilute from the overall message, uh, we're seeing a, a, a healthy growth rate and potentially slightly less promotional than last year, which is probably good good news for profitability. Yeah, it does seem like it. It it also feels like Americans are feeling jolly and that they want to uh, go out and spend. We never have I seen before, and this is the intangible in anybody's model, not just ours, but a stock market high uh, the day before Thanksgiving and in an all-time high. <laughs> and so um so there's that that question lingering how much is the economy and the stock market's uh positive overhang going to impact this holiday season in ways that the model couldn't have predicted because we've never had data to feed into the model with this kind of economy uh in it. Yeah, it feels like it, we got a really nice Nice set of tailwinds there. And, and you have Bitcoin hitting 10,000, which I'm sure all the U.S. consumers are excited about. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people nowadays do have uh, something in, in the market, in, in, in their retirement or wherever. And so uh, it does seem like <laughs> it creates a certain sense of um, willingness to, to spend when, when, that, when that market's going well. Yeah, cool. Let's shift gears a little bit. And I know you guys do some really interesting um, research uh, and tracking around the device trends. Um, What are we seeing uh, as far as mobile versus desktop and and anything interesting there that you've seen this year? Yeah, let's talk about that. Because when I've been asked what the biggest surprise was this year for me, um, 
it comes into the mobile device area, which you would think nothing would surprise me about mobile anymore because I've talked about it now every single year as if it's, you know, the most important thing. But the problem that I'd seen in mobile is that traffic is switching from desktop to mobile over the course of the last two years. And traffic, uh, people's buying habits are consolidating into fewer, fewer websites. So the actual traffic to websites in general, in retail, but also everywhere, is declining slightly. And, um, and it's increasing dramatically in the smartphone and at the expense of the desktop and the tablets declining a little bit. So uh, the problem with smartphone traffic is it doesn't convert well. It, people don't hit the buy button when they're on their smartphone nearly as often. And the average order size on a smartphone is lower. So from a retail perspective, it becomes really difficult if more people uh, shop on their smartphones. Uh, we were calling this year for smartphone traffic to uh, surpass 50% to hit 54%. And it, it, it is in general going to be true, that statement. Um, the first couple weeks of the year were a little bit lower in mobile traffic, but when we started getting into Thanksgiving, we went through the roof on, on mobile traffic, and in particular smartphone traffic. It got up to over 60% of visits to retailer websites um, on some of those big holiday days. And what I was fearing would happen would, that, would be that the revenue would take a hit as a result. And, and it didn't. And that's the big surprise for me. Uh, so we had about a 40% growth rate in revenue coming off of smartphones. And in particular, on Cyber Monday, we had mobile revenue, which is a smartphone plus tablet, hit $2 billion on that day alone, our very first $2 billion day of mobile spending. And uh, so what, what I've noticed is that the conversion rate and the shopping cart size on the smartphone has grown much faster than we were expecting, which is you know, perfect timing, really, because it could have been a disaster. Um, the reason why, I believe, has to do with our ability to autofill forms and autofill our credit card and use our fingerprint on the mobile device. It was just so much easier for me personally to shop on my smartphone this year than it was last year. Now, last year I had an iPhone 6 Plus. This year I have a Samsung Galaxy S8 Plus. Um, I don't know how much of it has to do with you know switching from Apple to Samsung or, or just the general improvements in the smartphone or the improvements of the website in being able to use the smartphone, but it was tremendously easier for me. And I think that's part of the reason why we saw so much more revenue coming from smartphones this year. That was my big, big surprise of the season. Interesting. Um, that, that's certainly great news. And we, on, on the show, we often talk about that, that lower mobile conversion rate as the sort of mobile gap. Um, and in general, I would even say historically, you, we see the mobile gap close a little bit on shopping days with a high purchase intent, right? Like, so, and, and that kind of makes sense. If you're just shopping on a mobile device on a regular day and you're in line at the bank and it's too hard to check out and you run out of time, 
you just don't complete the the transaction. But if you're you know shopping for a gift that you need for your nephew next week, uh, you're you're more motivated to complete the transaction, even if that that phone number is or all that payment information is harder to enter on your phone. Um, and we we sometimes also talk about. Uh, you know, conversion rate not being a perfect metric, right? Like, so, you know, most sites, when they talk about their conversion rate, it's all the traffic to the site, um, what percentage of that complete a purchase. But of course, if you're an omni-channel retailer, a lot of people are coming to your site to get your store address or your store hours or check this, you know, lots of other tasks besides shopping. And on these high shopping days, a higher percentage of the traffic is going to the uh, the purchase pages instead of the, you know, the, the informational pages that might be on your site. Um, and so I, I guess I would expect it to be a little narrower, but, but, uh, uh, it's certainly exciting to see the, the gap closing. If your premise is right, that it's because there's less payment friction, though, we should see the maintain those better conversion rates even after holiday. Is that right? I would think so. We'll have to watch and see how, um, how well we do at, the revenue coming from smartphones and how well we're trending. I did notice that in the past that we had seen some gains and it was getting better. Um, The overall amount of smartphone revenue as a percentage is around 21%. We hit 27% on Thanksgiving Day and Black Friday in terms of percent of revenue. So well over a quarter of the revenue was coming from a smartphone, not just a mobile device. So I agree with you though, all good points. it's going to be one of those things that retailers have to figure out how to how to keep the momentum because the desktop traffic for the first uh, 27 days of the season was um, accounted for 70% of the purchases. So as it goes more smartphone, uh, definitely that mobile gap is 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 a big worry. And if they can't find ways to improve the conversion rate, we're we're going to see their revenue take a hit eventually. Uh, for sure. And, and, uh, one thing that I, um, would just encourage people to keep an eye on, uh, for sure. It's true that the shopping experience on a mobile device is more miserable than a desktop device in terms of entering payment information and, and, um, some other usability things. And there, we are seeing lots of improvements, uh, get made that, you know, hopefully become permanent and, and, uh, help, help abate that, that mobile gap. But there's one particular technology that I personally am excited about that's called the Payment API um, that Google has deployed. So you may be benefiting from in your Samsung phone. So it's in Chrome right now. Um, and it it dramatically makes it easier to autofill all those, uh, to safely autofill all those payment fields um, on a mobile checkout. And so that that's in a bunch of the browsers at this point, but only a small subset of retailers have have uh, sort of implemented it in their sites yet. And so um, if that technology gets broadly adopted by next year, you know, that it can dramatically reduce the checkout friction. And, you know, we we look at the average mobile checkout as something like 27 fields that you have to fill out. And this this potentially reduces you down to. Um, eight or nine clicks in order to to make a purchase. So so pretty meaningful difference uh, if a lot of retailers end up adopting it. Yeah, I don't actually know where my phone gets that stuff to put in. I just observe it as a consumer and love it. And you know when you when you have an awesome uh, digital experience, um, like for example, the first time I 
checked into a hotel room using my phone to open the door. You know, you kind of remember those things You're like, oh, wow, <laughs> something just changed. My world is rocked. And it takes a really long time for everyone to adopt it. But when you see it, then it becomes your new norm for what you expect. And that's one of the things that we talk about a lot here is, is the expectation gap between what's possible and we know we can do it because we've done it on one retailer site. And and then everyone else very quickly has to follow. Or um, as consumers, we don't have a lot of patience for it to be anything lower than the best possible digital experience we've ever seen. And um, that that <laughs> that makes it kind of tough. Um, one of the things that we looked at for mobile that I think is worth pointing out is the conversion rate on small businesses, uh, those who are making $10 million a year or less in total online revenue, was almost two times higher than it was for large, large companies and um, on a smartphone. And so one of the things that I think is fascinating is this idea that we're gravitating towards the super large product catalog shopping environment where we can go there and buy everything from, you know, uh, oven cleaner to diamond rings. And it's just easier. We've got everything set up and we go there um, and and don't visit as many places as we used to. But there's this counterbalance of this boutique-y um, experience where I don't have to go in and type in a silver, silver bracelet and get a thousand pages on my smartphone. And that that's something that I think is really interesting dynamic for retailing going forward is this boutiqueification of the big retailers as we'll watch them try to figure out how to make themselves more consumable on a smartphone and how to um, create this identity that people who have particular styles will, will enjoy. Uh, I think that the small retailers have a little bit of a benefit there. I think they also have a little bit of a benefit in that they're forced out of search because they can't afford it. So they're into Instagram and places like that where um, they have a chance to stand out and to get some of this uh, holiday shopping headed their direction. Interesting. I, I definitely want to unpack that just slightly. Uh, you, your original point that, hey, one retailer offers a much better experience and then that becomes the new expectation and everyone else is forced to match it. Totally agree with that. Um, that, you know, and net net, that's helpful to the whole industry uh, that that uh, open your hotel room with your smartphone uh, experience. I do have a pet peeve with that one, though, and that's that most of the hotels that support that still make you use your key to go up the elevator which seems like it defeats the purpose to me, but I digress. Um, it, the mobile conversion rate being higher for smaller businesses is super fascinating. I hadn't really thought about that before. And for sure you could be right. Like part of that can be the paradox of choice that they, they, you know, they have a much more curated assortment. Um, and you know, so maybe some of this like catalog shopping is, uh, particularly, uh, arduous on a mobile phone and is hurting conversion a little bit when you've got Amazon with 400 million, SKUs and Walmart with 70 million SKUs. Um, I could totally see that. I could uh, totally see your other point that, hey, it's way harder for the small site to get traffic. And so the traffic they get is likely to have much higher purchase intent. Um, so, you know, if the the organic search on Google is going to get won by that big 
a big site and then it's going to send you to a page that might not be totally relevant to the keyword, uh, you know, and they're the ones that are going to buy ads that you click on and those sorts of things. Um, but the people that find those small sites, like probably had to do some work to get to that site. And that means they probably knew they wanted something there. Um, two other sort of, uh, yeah, I guess one other interesting premise, the, another interesting thing about all those small businesses is they tend to rent their e-commerce platform form from a big provider, right? Like, so, you know, these days it's most likely Shopify. Um, and those big providers do a pretty good job of upgrading all the best practices all the time. So you have a pretty modern mobile checkout experience on Shopify. And, you know, if you're a small business and you're on that site, like, and, and something like this Google payment API comes up, like you just automatically get it very fast. Whereas on the on the really big sites that have sort of custom built themselves, interestingly, they they have a harder time adapt adopting all the new UX stuff as fast. And so, in in some small ways, like there's actually a user experience benefit to many of these smaller sites that have to outsource their e-commerce platforms uh, versus some of the the big sites that do it themselves. So I wonder if that has has some small role in it. Yeah, as well. I think I. I agree. I think that's a really good point. Um, most people assumed that just because they were small businesses, they couldn't have as good a mobile experience. And our data is saying that that assumption is, is past, you know, is way old. And it, it very well could be due to these types of platforms that provide small businesses with, um, in particular, small retailers with all the same mobile capacity as uh, as as the big guys. Um, so now we're, now we're talking about, you know, how are, how is the world going to become more personalized in these big, big catalogs? I don't think they're going to stand by and let small business kind of go back and get an advantage. <laughs> and they certainly do have a lot of uh, resources to deploy at trying to find ways to make themselves look boutique. -y. It just seems like that's going to be a trend that will watch, you know, happen. I'm not sure if it'll work though, because we're now selling more and more to millennials and even Gen Z, which I like to call crafters because I don't like these Gen X, Gen Z things. They're just boring. But anyway, um, I, uh, I, I believe those folks just turned uh, 22 and entered the workforce this year. So we're now starting to pivot our conversation onto uh, beyond millennials into this newer generation, which uh, is even more interested in doing things like looking at influencers on Instagram to decide where they want to buy apparel and jewelry and um, sporting goods and things like that from. Very cool. So, so that has been a really good tour of the macro trends. Let, let's talk about a couple of the specific days and you've hit on some tidbits in here, but I want to make sure we drill in on them. Let's start with uh, Thanksgiving and Black Friday. Uh, over the last three or four years, as retailers have kind of started moving their Black Friday deals over onto Thanksgiving, we've seen kind of an acceleration of Thanksgiving and a slowdown of Black Friday. Uh, is that um, is that something you saw this year and any other insights on those two days would, would be interesting? Yeah, so uh, we had predicted Thanksgiving Day to be a $2.79 billion day. It came in at $2.87 billion, 18.3% growth rate. So, yes, it grew a little faster. Um, however, the Black Friday total, we predicted it to be $5.01 billion. It came in at $5.03 billion. And so, um, so we're, we're still a little bit higher on Black Friday than our predictive models suggested. 
and at the 16.9% growth rate. So as we talked about before, a, a percentage growth rate on a much bigger number uh, is, is harder to achieve. Thanksgiving Day is, quote unquote, growing faster, but it's on a smaller base. And Black Friday just crossed the $5 billion mark, which is pretty impressive. Um, we also had, out of every single day up until Cyber Monday, was more than a billion-dollar day online. Last year, two of the days fell below a billion dollars. So we're now at a point where you know, everything's a billion-dollar day. We're going to have 18 we believe, according to our model, 18 $2 billion days, two-plus billion dollar days in this season. So um, so that's, that's kind of what happened on Black Friday and Thanksgiving Day. Um, then we got into Small Business Saturday and Sunday, where we were just a tiny bit above projection. These were like 10% growth days. And then we hit Cyber Monday. We predicted that to be $6.58 billion, came in at $6.59 billion. So our new model's working out pretty well. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that's a 16.8%. So the biggest growth day was the biggest day, which is and from a statistics perspective, very impressive. Um, and we all thought Cyber Monday was starting to become irrelevant, and it turns out it's more relevant than ever, um, which was surprising. So let me make sure I understand that. So Cyber Monday grew 16%, but Thanksgiving grew 18%. But you're you're saying Cyber Monday grew faster because it like added more dollars. It's not the that's right. It's not it, the percentage growth rate. It's the dollars added. Yeah, added. we added yeah. a billion dollars. Um, mm-hmm in spending on Cyber Monday versus last year. I see. Okay. Um, And then uh, you said we've had billion dollar days. When did that start? Uh, I assume probably earlier than Thanksgiving. Is that like, when did we start billion dollar days? When we we started tracking on November 1st, uh, we we saw billion dollar days every day since then. And and every day in the season will probably be a billion dollar day plus and 18 will be more than 2 billion. Yeah. Cool. And then, um, just one data point at, at Channel Advisor, we saw on Thanksgiving was our peak mobile day, and we saw traffic at 81%. So yeah. um, I always I always imagine people are in the stores, and they can't find what they're looking for, and they hop on their phone to kind of check the real-time inventory at other stores or to you know try to get that one TV that they're after, whatever it is, that, that the phones become almost part of the, 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 the you know, doorbuster kind of fun there. <laughs> yeah, I call it shopping under the table. That's when you bring your cell phone to the Thanksgiving table and, you know, you're kind of looking down, doing your thing, <laughs> hoping, hope, hoping grandma doesn't bust you for bringing this phone to the table. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys see any omni-channel trends where, um, you know, you, you saw, you see a spike in store location lookups or, or ship from store or any of that kind of stuff? With trillions of transactions and us trying to get data out three times during that day, we didn't look into that. Um, We look into those types of things in January when we do a wrap-up report, and and that's really usually timed for the NRF, uh, you know, timing in January to go talk about how people are using mobile devices for retail more generally. Uh, And we will certainly be looking forward to to hearing about that in – January. It, it's interesting with all these days because I feel like we're just making this transition from uh, utility to convention, right? Like that Thursday is obviously a high mobile shopping day because you're not at home in front of your desk. So you, you know, even if you were someone that would predominantly shop on on your computer, 
you you just have fewer hours on your computer. You're more likely at a, at a family member's house and you're you're stuck on your phone. And then, of course, Friday was was a predominantly a, an in store day, and Monday was predominantly an online day because in the early days you didn't have a good internet access or a computer at home. So you know when you got to work on Monday, that was your first opportunity uh, to shop online. Like I feel like all of those those things are dramatically less true. Like, you know, we're, we're sort of, uh, ubiquitously online. Like we certainly have good internet access at home, but they've, they've turned into these, these shopping conventions. And, and now, you know, retailers have a, a completely separate promotional strategy for cyber Monday than they did black Friday. And they're, you know, they're driving more sales on cyber Monday, not because that's the first time the customer had access to a computer, but because they got a whole fresh, a list of offers and if they felt like they missed some of the Thanksgiving offers because they were with family, like this is their sort of second bite at the apple at the perceived good, good pricing. Yeah, I think um, I have a, I have another theory as well. I agree with you, but there's one other piece of data that surprised me on Cyber Monday because I just kept thinking to myself, why is Monday such a, you know, why is it still so big? And the we looked at the shopping patterns by hour, and the peak shopping hours on Cyber Monday are 8 p.m. to midnight, not during the middle of the day when you're at work. So, uh, so it's really this last-ditch effort to get the lowest prices that seems to drive Cyber Monday. And I have a theory that there are uh, people's um, need to press the buy button is dependent on whether they think something will go out of stock or whether they think the price will go up. And and there are many things that we've put into shopping carts that we maybe haven't finished with yet. We get to the last hours of Cyber Monday and realize we better finish our shopping uh, because if we wait past midnight, the prices will most certainly go up. And so I think that there's a little bit of the um, the bucket of unfinished shopping hits Monday, especially the last hours of Monday, and that causes Cyber Monday to grow as much as it is. That makes total sense. Cool. And then um, so that gets us pretty caught up, I guess. So we, we had the, you know, we, we're, we're recording this on Thursday, uh, probably not much of note during since Cyber Monday. But then as we look forward, you, you know, the, the other days, and these will probably be one of your 18 uh, greater than $2 billion days. So um, in your forecast, uh, you know, we usually talk about Green Monday, which is that second Monday in December, which is the 11th this year. Uh, and then there's this free shipping day, which is like the last day to get free shipping outside of Amazon, I guess I would say on 1215. And then as you kind of, you know, uh, look at the uh, well, let, let me pause there and, and see wh what you think about those days. Yeah, so. You're right. Those are in the two, uh, the over two billion dollar days. M Mondays traditionally are big shopping days because we've got our shopping list done for the weekend. We go in and and do our shopping on Mondays. Um, there's there are probably more bigger high growth days coming after uh, the final time period when we used to see the big growth days because of the click and collect and the extended shopping season. So for example, Christmas Eve last year was like a 25% growth day. 
because of click and collect. That, <laughs> so, that was Jason and I were what you call the classic procrastinators. <laughs> <laughs> giving really people pictures of the gifts them. we ordered for them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. When you look at the jewelry category pricing, it like starts to really peak right there at the very end because of you guys. Oh. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> They've got your number. <laughs> For sure. Um nobody. Yeah, cool. One one thing just a historical like anomaly I always found interesting is uh, everyone perceives that Cyber Monday was always the biggest shopping day of the year and I I think until Five or six years ago, that Green Monday was actually a bigger online day than Cyber Monday. So it it uh, uh, it, it hasn't always been that Cyber Monday. Um, that's just a fun well, fact. Well, I actually think that retailers should change their date from Cyber Monday to the Monday <laughs> around Veterans Day and get the whole season started faster. And, you know, it, it, all it would take is for Amazon to decide that was the day and we could be Cyber Monday could be a thing of the past, like instantly, because Prime Day has only been around for two years, came out of nothing, and it was an almost 10% uh, above average growth day last year for what we measured. So I, I just think it's interesting that they wait so long to have these low, low price days when they could actually kick the season off faster and change Cyber Monday to something much earlier in November. Yeah. So that's interesting for two reasons, right? Like in brick and mortar, which has been selling stuff for much longer than we have digitally, like we, we see a very similar phenomenon, right? Like there's, there's this race to open earlier and earlier, you know, because everyone wants, like they, they know that uh, consumers in general are trending towards visiting fewer stores. And so it's, it's, it becomes a bigger imperative that you be the first store uh, they visit. Right. And so, you know, retailers used to open on, uh, early in the morning on Friday and now, you know, they're opening early and earlier and now they start to open on Thursday and they're opening early and earlier. Um, it, it's surprising that we haven't seen that same sort of um, progression with with online promotions. And then you mentioned Veterans Day, like there's already a word for shopping holiday on Veterans Day and it's called Singles Day. Right. Like so in 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 China, 1111 is when the ball gets rolling. um, And that's that's super convenient. Right. Like there's there's been lots of talk about, you know, when and if Alibaba would would successfully make Singles Day a a thing here. And I I'm not optimistic that they ever will. Um, But but to your point, like it, it seems like there's. There's enough permission in the market now for for a retailer, and, obvi- and Amazon would be an obvious one to do it to sort of embrace starting, you know, uh, that that eleven eleven uh, time period as the starting of the official promotions. And and I guess to a limited extent, we did see that this year, right? Like, because didn't they start with ten days of promotion running up to Black Friday? Yeah, they well, everyone did, but the problem was that the truly lowest prices were not. We're not then. Um, maybe on certain point products they were, but in general they weren't. And uh, I was watching, for example, in email, I was watching discount coupons come from various sites that I track. And I was getting, you know, progressively a couple percent more off as as time passed until I hit Cyber Monday when I got a 20% coupon when I normally get 12%. So I think um, I think that the problem is that 
consumers recognize when the lowest price time is, and it's still then. And until it truly is a different day, our behavior won't change. You can promote as much as you want to, but we're we're smart enough shoppers to know when things are the lowest price. We watch our email boxes. We know. Uh, unless we're the procrastinator convenience shopper, in which case we don't really care. <laughs> so I just don't understand why we haven't had Cyber Monday, you know, leap in front of Black Friday yet. Yeah. Given why why give why give brick and mortar the the edge to get the shopping started first? Doesn't yeah. make sense to me. Yeah. No, I, I I agree. It's interesting. Like I I mean, there's a bunch of reasons I would hope it 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 potentially doesn't happen. Um, but but from a <laughs> From a pure sales standpoint, like, you know, you would you would think there's someone that would, if for no other reason than to grab that first mover advantage and grab a chunk of wallet share, um, you know, while everyone else is standing flat footed, you you might almost expect that. And, yeah, uh, you know, we'll have to see what happens next year. Um, I know we're running out of time. Sort of final question. Like, is there anything in particular that you'd be looking out for or that you think might surprise us? Um as the rest of the holiday season plays out, like, is there, you know, I, I, you know, make or break stuff around the end of the shipping cutoffs or, or, you know, uh, inventory levels or anything like that, that you think, uh, people ought to be keeping an eye on? No, I don't think so. I think the, the question that I'm starting to ask myself is how much more can the shippers handle without having a breakdown? Um, especially because things have gotten so consolidated and the amount of packages. So we, we also tracked that the uh, total number of units in a package is increasing. Uh, so people are buying lower price things and more of them, which is probably meaning even more boxes than ever. And last year when I was uh, in, it was uh, Giving Tuesday, I was in Manhattan and I'm walking around and the streets were literally seven, eight feet high of boxes everywhere. And I'm just kind of wondering, uh, last year we didn't have a major snowstorm happen during the holiday season to, to slow down any of the shipping. This year, it doesn't seem like there's too much to worry about in terms of weather yet. But at some point, those boxes are going to get uh, stuck. And one thing we saw a couple years ago, we had a little bit of a, of a problem with delivery. And people lost uh, some some trust in online and then and then impacted the online the next year. So these are areas that we we can't really foresee, but I'm certainly interested in tracking. Uh, if you see anything major happen with shipping or with storms or something like that, it could be could be interesting uh, yeah. have a have a downstream impact impact. Uh, uh, for sure. Um, that like certainly one that we'd look out for is whether like, you know, talking about going in, we were talking a lot about the hurricane effect and, you know, what kind of effect that had on retailers in in uh, uh, big chunks of the country as they're reporting their Q3 numbers. Um, the the shipping thing is is super interesting slash scary. We, we talk a lot about it on the podcast. And of course, there's a lot of news, you know, that Amazon has has aggressively built their own last mile fulfillment capacity. And of course now they own a fleet of planes and pay a lot of their own employees to deliver packages. Um, the, the um, interesting thing there is, you know, people, uh, you know, including us are kind of speculating like, Hey, maybe they will become a carrier one day, but I point out 
Amazon would need to be doing this even if they'd never want to sell capacity. That just UPS and FedEx are adding 8% capacity every year. And you just told us that we're going to be up by like 14% this holiday. And so if, if you do the math, UPS isn't growing fast enough to keep up with uh, the growth in our industry. And so the smart retailers are saying, hey, how am I going to keep growing at these rates even when uh, shipping capacity is increasingly becoming a, a constraining factor? And so, it's, you know, I think, I, I think the, the shipping uh, logistics are getting increasingly vulnerable. So that is certainly something I'll be watching closely this holiday. The other thing, uh, and I, I hope it doesn't become a thing, but every year there's some external factor you worry about. Like there have been labor issues with some of the ports that, you know, have been scary in the past. There have been labor issues with the carriers that have been scary in the past. Last year we had a, a very uh, novel election happening over holiday. And, and you know, I think. <laughs> yeah, that did. Uh, we, we certainly saw that affect it. And so the, you know, the one thing in that ilk that could come to play this year is a lot of the consumer confidence um, and a lot of the spending is probably predicated on the fact that most of us are assuming we're getting a tax break. Um, and so if something happens with that, like, uh, you know, it, it wouldn't uh, shock me to see that uh, create some kind of um, glitch in the in the spending patterns as well. Fascinating stuff. We could talk about it for another hour, but we, uh, we could. But yeah, we're. But <laughs> <laughs> you will <laughs> exactly, and maybe we will offline. Uh, but but it has, of course, happened again that we've used up our allotted time. Um, and I know we, we have you in the middle of the day, so uh, I want to make sure we we get you out on time. But we certainly appreciated talking to you, and uh, uh, thanks for getting us all updated on the holiday season. My pleasure, as always. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Tamara. Okay, bye-bye. Until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.